Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Welcome in, everybody, on this Monday. Glad to be back with you. A couple of things for you today. First of all, the Auburn situation and how it pertains to Ole Miss. So we'll talk about that. Um, if you want to hear my thoughts on just the Auburn situation, just from a looking at that, not with an Ole Miss twist perspective, I talked about that on YouTube. So just find my YouTube channel. Just search my name. By the way, I am Michael Borky. Uh, just search my name there. You can find uh, find my thoughts, long-form thoughts on that on YouTube. But today, because this is an Ole Miss podcast, we will look at it from an Ole Miss angle. Two names that have come up in the search that have Ole Miss ties, the obvious, of course. So we'll talk about that. And then I will also play for you uh, Mike Bianco's preseason press conference. It is 36 minutes long. Somehow, some way. Mike Bianco talked for 36 minutes. And so if you want to hear it, I know some of you love it. I know some of you don't care. I'll put it at the end of uh, of the podcast. So the final 36 minutes are going to be Mike Bianco on the podium talking about, you know, his lineup and Tim Elko and returning a bunch of guys at the plate, the pitchers that are going to start, that kind of stuff. All the preseason whatever, 36 minutes worth, you can hear that at the end of this. But I do want to talk about the Auburn situation. It is a dumpster fire, is what it is at Auburn. Uh, It is an absolute dumpster fire. That place has a serious absence of true leadership. There are a lot of people, too many cooks in the kitchen, as you probably figured out by now. We learned that during the last coaching search, where they got said no to by multiple candidates. You had booster factions and on and on and on. So we learned that when Brian Harson got hired. He was like their fifth or sixth or seventh choice. Um, And now it appears they are essentially seeking a reason to fire him with cause. Uh, And nothing that has come out, at least confirmed anyway, is actual cause. So maybe they'll find something somewhere down the line. They will find something or maybe they have finally found something to fire him with cause. Either way, this is a disaster. If Tank Bigsby never runs out of bounds in the Iron Bowl, and they win the Iron Bowl, we're not having this conversation today. If they go eight and four instead of six and seven or nine and four instead of six and seven, nobody's having the conversation today. They are looking for cause to fire him for football reasons. That's what's going on here. It's pretty obvious that they are seeking instead of reacting to something that was exposed that they cannot ignore. If the football team was better, if recruiting went a little bit better, then we wouldn't be having this conversation today. It's a disaster. There, there's a, a void of leadership, too many cooks in the kitchen, whatever expression you want to use, that is Auburn right now. It is a disaster right now, regardless of the decision they make. If they decide to keep Harson, then he can't coach. It, it, he, he will just be fired in November because you can't coach in this environment. The players are unhappy. Uh, it, it's a disaster. It is a disaster. But the inevitability has happened where if Auburn decides to move on from Brian Harson, who will they hire? That's the question on everybody's mind. How does the Auburn search affect Ole Miss? Well, you are going to get the inevitable. Lane Kiffin, his name will come up, I think, on Feinbaum at the end of last week. Uh, I think it was Chris Lowe mentioned that Lane Kiffin could be interested in the job, and you're just going to get this all over again. I will say this. I don't know if Lane Kiffin would be interested or not. God knows. I have, I have no idea whether or not Lane Kiffin would actually be interested in the Auburn job. I do know if he is interested in the job, he's an incredibly stupid person. And I don't think he is. I don't think Lane Kiffin is stupid. However, if there actually is interest from his side to join Auburn in its current state, he's an incredibly stupid person. And I don't mean to be so harsh, but that's the reality. Uh, Comparing the situations, even the rosters right now that he has at Ole Miss versus Auburn, the leadership situation, and oh, by the way, Auburn actively seeking to destroy him after one bad season, that is not a situation I would expect Lane Kiffin to want to enter into. 
those are people that clearly want somebody that will, uh, you know, kiss babies and shake hands and be part of the Auburn family. And right now, Lane Kiffin's current setup at Ole Miss, that is not required of him. It's very clear Keith Carter does not care at all if Lane Kiffin is, quote, part of the community, end quote. He doesn't care. All Keith Carter cares about, and rightfully so, mind you, is will you win me football games? And that answer is yes. So I don't give a crap what you do. I don't care if you're in L.A. right now. It doesn't matter because there's nothing you can be doing in Oxford right now. It's all up to Nick Savage to get your team ready for spring practice. Go see your kids and hang out with your kids for a while in L.A. All good. All good. There's a reason Harson's in Mexico. A lot of coaches take vacation this time of year, but point being, that's not a priority at Ole Miss. Maybe that will be his downfall. Maybe that is stopping some some boosters from buying into Lane Kiffin, and that's their fault. That's not Kiffin's fault. But the leadership, his boss, and the university chancellor, I was going to say president, but he's a chancellor at Ole Miss, are cool with how he operates. There's no expectation of being a member of the community for Lane Kiffin. Not really. I mean, he did the, you know, the plugging the lights thing at the Christmas parade and stuff. And, you know, he's around, but not as much as he would be required to be at Auburn. They want somebody that would be part of the family. And you think he's buying into that? I don't. I could be wrong, but I don't. They are actively trying to destroy Brian Harson right now. Right now, after one not-so-great season. He's got a better roster, better university leadership, both with the athletic director and the person running the university, and also, you know, a seven and a half million dollar a year salary. If he were to be interested in the Auburn job, he would be an incredibly stupid person because his situation in Oxford right now is 10 times better than what he would currently inherit at Auburn. Is Auburn generally a better job than Ole Miss? I think that answer is yes. And I know some people would disagree with me, but I think it's that answer is yes. Right now? Hell no. Hell no. It's not even close to what he's got at Ole Miss. Not even close. Roster, quarterback, university leadership. So he would be stupid to be interested. But you're going to get his name show up because that's what happens. You're going to get his name to show up. It is going to happen. It's going to happen. Also, I saw uh, Peter Burns draw the comparison, and I agree with him, uh, that Tank Bigsby not going down to ice the game in the Iron Bowl, but instead running out of bounds, stopping the clock, giving Alabama time to go down the field and score, is setting off a butterfly effect similar to Elijah Moore. And he's right. If Tank Tank Bigsby doesn't go down and Auburn wins, like I said earlier, we're not having this conversation today. Nobody, nobody. Is talking about Brian Harson and spreading rumors and whatever the hell's going on over there if he beat Alabama this year. Nobody is doing that. Not one person. Uh, there's a stark difference, though, Peter, in the two situations. When Ole Miss decided to fire Matt Luke for football reasons, they didn't actively seek to destroy him to avoid paying a buyout. Ole Miss, as I understand it, is still paying Matt Luke. It's like 160 grand a month, something like that. He's getting all of his buyout. Ole Miss did nothing to stop themselves from having to do that because they were firing Matt Luke for football reasons, and they knew that. And so instead of trying to actively destroy his character, like maybe they could have tried, it wouldn't have gone over well because there would have been nothing to find, but they, they certainly could have tried, I suppose. Instead of trying, they just paid the buyout. And again, their, their effort would have been futile because there would have been nothing to find at all. Nothing. I'm not saying Brian Harson's been perfect at Auburn. There's been some issues, a lot of issues. Losing coaches, players hitting the portal, stuff like that. But when you've got current players saying that you need to talk to us first before you fire him because we love playing for Coach Harson and you need to ask us what's going on here. One Auburn player described what Brian Harson is doing is or as chemo, saying that Harson's performing chemo on the cancers in the locker room. That's a current Auburn player who di- who expressed in the same thread of tweets that he is displeased with his playing time and still went to bat for Brian Harson, saying he's just performing chemo on our cancerous locker room. So 
yeah, there are some questions, but apparently it's not as black and white as people want to make it out to be. So Auburn is actively seeking to destroy this guy. Ole Miss didn't do that to Matt Luke. So there's a, a difference between the two right there, uh, for whatever that's worth. Either way, the second name, of course, that's, that's coming up, obviously coming up, is Hugh Freeze. So Lane Kiffin's name is going to get out there because he gets clicks. And maybe he would be interested in the job. But again, if he's interested in the job, he's a stupid person. Hugh Freeze would not be a stupid person to be interested in the Auburn job. In fact, Hugh Freeze is the, the kind of coach that I think Auburn's going to have to hire in this cycle. I think Auburn has to go damaged goods here. They have created a mess. And their candidate pool, I think, is different than it would be had they just let Harson coach the year out and fire him after two years instead of just after one. I think it changes their candidate pool. If I'm like a just throwing a random name out there, if I'm like Dave Clawson, who just got a nice little raise at Wake Forest, he's not getting SEC money, but he's got a, he's making a few million bucks a year, got a good stable job. And Auburn calls, I don't even bother talking to him, honestly. I wouldn't bother. Because this is two coaching search cycles now that have shown you that nobody knows who the hell's in charge. And again, they're sabotaging Harson after one year. I'm good here in Winston-Salem. I'm good in Birmingham. If I'm Bill Clark, I wouldn't take the job. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a Mike Gundy, like I heard earlier, would jump at Auburn and just dive right into the dumpster fire. Maybe he would. But Hugh Freeze makes sense to me because I think Auburn has to go damaged goods. They have to go Hugh Freeze. They have to go Matt Rule, which I think would be a great hire for them, by the way. If I'm a fan of another program in the SEC, I would least want them to hire Matt Rule. I think he'd come in and do a good job. He's navigated disaster before at the college level, did an excellent job. Not cut out for the NFL. Just not cut out for the NFL. That would be a hire that would concern me. But I think that's the route Auburn needs to go is damaged goods. The problem with Hugh Freeze, there, there's multiple problems with it. First of all, if if one of the rumors is true, if one of the rumors is true, then you can't hire Hugh Freeze. You, you can't do it. You cannot hire Hugh Freeze if one of the particular rumors is true, and that's why you fire Harson. You can't do it. And also, in the last coaching carousel, they looked into Hugh Freeze, decided against it. Why is that? Why have other SEC schools? Because despite what some people think, the league office is not blackballing him anymore. There's a, Multiple SEC schools have looked into it and decided, nah, we're good. Why is that? I, I don't know. I'm asking a genuine question. Why is that? And why did Auburn do that last time? Why why did Auburn look into it and think, eh, no, we're, we're good? So what has changed in a year? Maybe desperation. I don't know. I don't know. That's a job that Freeze would take right away, obviously. Um, I would be curious to see if he can handle it because there's no pressure, none, at Liberty. None, zero. There was very little pressure at Ole Miss, and it wasn't able to be handled place like Auburn, with this mess, with Nick Saban in your state. A lot of pressure. And if they hire him, I mean, he's a good coach, all that. I'm not denying that, but I don't know. I don't know if it would work out as well as some people around here will try to convince people like me that it would. It wouldn't scare me if I were you, to tell you the truth. I saw somebody say last night that uh, Auburn hiring Hugh Freeze would should scare Ole Miss fans, and I, I laugh at that notion. What the hell are you talking about? It's like the year 2016 never happened. Either way, that name is out there, and uh, we'll see if that's the route that Auburn has to go. If they fire Brian Harson, he would take the job. We'll see if he can handle the job. My guess is no, but 
that's just a guess. I do not foresee a situ a scenario in which Lane Kiffin would be interested. But if he is, he's a moron. And I don't think he's a moron. So there you go. There's uh, an Ole Miss angle to the Auburn situation. Again, if you want to uh if you want to hear more, I talked about it a lot on YouTube last night. Just again, find my YouTube channel, just search Michael Borky, and uh you can find it there. Don't forget to follow also on Twitter and Facebook. Just again, search my name, Michael B-O-R-K-E-Y on Twitter and Facebook. And wherever you get your podcast, uh, this is available wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to subscribe while you're here. I know some of you listen in browser. Subscribe, and uh, it'll auto-update to your phone every time a new episode is loaded. Before we get to Mike Bianco, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Advantage Business Systems. ABSMS.com is the website. If you're in the market for office technology anywhere inside of the state of Mississippi, they can service you. Uh, They started in Jackson, but again, they service the entire state. Advantage Business Systems. So if you are in the market for any office technology, if it's technology, if it's in the office and you're in the market for it, absms.com is the website. Tell them I sent you get a complimentary office technology assessment. Podcast is also brought to you by LBs just across from Kroger on University Avenue. Baseball season is coming, so you're going to see a ton uh, of LBs at Swayze this year. I told you uh, last week that they they struck an NIL deal with a handful of Ole Miss baseball players. Uh, really cool stuff. Kind of figured that was coming with uh, with how into Ole Miss baseball LBs is. Uh, but stop by and see them. Go by and see Greg and tell him I sent you. It's the best place in the state to get your meat. You've got beautiful weather coming this week. So, you know, if you're getting off early or maybe you have the day off, I mean, you've got mid-60s this week. Perfect grilling weather. So get your meat at LB's just across from Kroger on University right there in Oxford. All right, here's Mike Bianco now. 36 minutes of him previewing. 36 minutes of him previewing the 2022 season. So here's Mike Bianco, and he will end the podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Thanks, Mitch. I appreciate it, and uh, welcome everybody for uh, being here today. And uh, you know, and I guess uh, you know, uh, making it through the weather. You know, I, I think it, even last night talking to Mitch, we weren't sure if we could put this back on, but thankfully, you know, here in Oxford, we missed a lot of the, as you know, uh, frozen uh, precipitation and uh, able to get you guys here and, and even get an inter squad game in this afternoon. Uh, excited to have Mitch here, no, new uh, sport. Uh, I keep saying sports information director. I apologize. I uh, think the correct term now is communications director. Uh, but uh, we welcome him, welcome him here and uh, uh, excited that he's part of the program you know, with us. Uh, start off by saying that uh, super excited to announce, you know, once again, uh, we broke a, another season ticket record. So uh, uh, kudos um, to the, the marketing team here, uh, you know, the communications team, and, of course, our ticket office, over 8,000. You know, season tickets, uh, just incredible, and uh, you know, great fan base that you know continues to buy tickets, show up to the games, and uh, support uh, like no other program, and uh, it makes it you know the greatest atmosphere, you know, in, in college baseball. And uh, as uh, we'll might get asked a little bit later, uh, because of the eight thousand season tickets, because of the support, you know, there's there's a, a vision uh, by Keith and his staff to uh, continue. The expansion of the stadium and some some different things, and and that's really because of the growth of the the fan base, and that we continue to sell tickets. And when you sell tickets, and you actually sell more tickets than you actually have seats, uh, doesn't take a, a genius of a businessman to realize that you got to build some more seats. And so uh, they're in the process of doing that. It's it's still in its infancy, uh, but I'm excited that it's important to them that you you work at a place that uh, your sport uh, is important, and uh, you know key. Keith uh, has always shown that, and uh, so we're excited about you know the future you know of our facility. Uh, with that, talking about the team, um, so I've said this a few times, and I think it might come across wrong, but it was somewhat of an uneventful fall for us in a sense that uh, it was kind of business as usual, and uh, and that can happen. I think when you have so many older guys return, so many veterans, and uh, and so when I say uneventful fall. Uh, it kind of went as planned, and I think sometimes as a coach, you know, that's that's a good thing. You know, that uh, there wasn't many issues. Uh, you know, surely, you know, we want those good surprises, but sometimes.
surprised with good surprises. Uh, there's things that uh, go wrong. Uh, no really injuries to speak of coming out of the fall, you know, uh, other than you know, normal uh, uh, bumps and bruises. Uh, but, but an uneventful fall where uh, the offense you know, that was the number one offense in the Southeastern Conference last year just continued to, to swing well as we return you know, basically the entire offense from last year. Um, uh, even with you know, Tim being sidelined with the ACL rehab, uh, the offense just didn't you know, uh, uh, miss, a, miss a step and you know, continue to swing well, uh, which in turn made it tough. You know, on a on a pitching staff that was, I think, trying to you know make make a name for themselves, and and so as well as we swung it, um, we probably swung it better than I would imagine that we would swing it. So I look back this morning, just trying to put it in perspective. We played 268 innings in the fall. Uh, so when you look at perspective, uh, if you divide it by nine, that's almost it's uh, almost 30 games, 29.7 you know games to be exact. So if you played 30 games, you know we hit. 51 home runs, and so uh, that's a lot of homers. Uh, we stole 77 bases, uh, so a lot of offense, and you know that's nice. The problem is that you're on the other side of the ball as well. And so from a pitching standpoint, uh, we probably didn't pitch it as well as I would like or hope. Uh, but with that being said, some guys really stood out. Of course, Derek Diamond uh, led the pitching staff uh, with the least amount of runs given up. But the guy with the lowest ERA was a, a transfer, a grad transfer, and John Gaddis uh, from the University of Texas, Corpus Christi. He had a terrific fall. Uh, normal names that our fans will know, guys like Brandon Johnson and um, uh, Jack Doherty pitched well. But some newcomers. Uh, Jack Washburn, a, a, a transfer from Oregon State, pitched really well. Hunter Elliott, true freshman from Tupelo High School, pitched, pitched really well. Uh, Drew McDaniel pitched great, uh, probably the second half of the fall. And so with all that offense, uh, you know, we felt good finishing the fall that um, we may have more depth on this staff, or we do have more depth on this staff, uh, even missing Nikhazy, uh Broadway, and Hoagland. Uh, overall, as a staff, you know, we probably have more depth and more talent than, than we did a year ago. And with those guys, you know, those guys are a year older. Um, and we did pitch it well. When we talk about the uh, two scrimmages, playing University of Alabama and uh, University of Arkansas, Little Rock, uh, I, I look back at those scrimmages and, and where against outside competition, not facing our hitters in the other dugout, you know, we pitched it really well. One of the things I think doesn't get mentioned you know, in these types of settings, press conference, it just seems to be the uh, least sexy thing is defense. Um, but one of the things that I think is a, a goal of ours going in, we want Wanted to play better defense, you know, this year, and uh, not that we were poor last year, but uh, we were average. And you know, to, to be an elite team, and especially to help a pitching staff out, we you know we wanted to be able to catch it and throw it a little bit better. And I, and I think we did that this fall and improved, you know, defensively, you know, as a whole. And the old adage, you know, a lot of times when you look at your defense, how 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 are you built up the middle? You know, where are you in those positions uh, that are you know the premier defense positions? Catcher uh, in the middle infield, second base, shortstop, and of course in center field. And when you look at you know Hayden Dunhurst behind the plate, and then up the middle, Peyton Chatnier and uh, Jacob Gonzalez uh, in the middle infield, and then uh, T.J. McCants or Justin Bench in center field. We're as strong as we've ever been here in this program in my 22 years up the middle, and so I think we'll really defend it well. Um, and then one of the things I, I briefly mentioned, but I thought we did a great job, uh, and another goal is to be um, more productive on the base pass, uh, to, to, to not just stolen bases. Obviously, that's the easy, I think, metric or, or stat to look back at. Uh, but beyond that, uh, to take the extra base, to be able to read balls in the dirt, to, to be able to move up you know, bases. Uh, last year, I, I don't think we were uh, as good as we could be. Uh, some reasons for that. You know, I think a reason that you know, we kind of put the, the parking brake on Peyton Chatney, who should be one of our base, best base dealers, but after the first month of the season and he tore, tore his hamstring, we just played it really careful for him the 
the rest of the year and uh, didn't allow him to run. Um, but another year of experience for Justin Bench and T.J. McCants, who are probably our, uh, our best base-stealing threats, and they continued this fall. You know, uh, All three of those guys running really well uh, this fall, stealing bases, and as I mentioned, in approximately 30 games, we stole 77 bases against maybe the best catching trio that we've ever had here. And so it's not like they took advantage of catchers that couldn't throw, uh, guys that kind of improved you know, our game as a, as a whole. Uh, uh, on the injury front, you know Tim Elko's you know been back, um, been released to be able to go you know full speed. Looks 100% out there. Uh, I was even a little shocked a few weeks ago. I told Tim, pulled him to the side, watched him uh, do it during an early work portion of our uh, practice where it's just defense, and watched him move around at first base. And you know, uh, easy to look at him and not realize you know you know what, the injury that he had last year, and of course surgery, and how much work and effort that he put in and Josh Porter, our trainer, has put in to get him back out on the field. Uh, but, man, he looks amazing out there. And, of course, in the first weekend, as Tim can do, um, four for nine with two home runs in the first weekend. So a pretty, pretty good start for him. And, of course, Max Chofi uh, is still you know, on, a, on a rehab front and uh, uh, should be you know, able to pitch this year, uh, likely not to be uh, until you know, mid to late March. Uh, I don't know it off the top of my head. And I meant to bring it in here, you know, the, the actual date. But, of course, the, the, the last month of rehab is critical to his bullpens and see where he is. But uh, certainly he's hit all his marks, you know, through the, the throwing protocol and um, is, is, is ready to pitch, you know, this year. Um, I'll go around the, the, the diamond uh, just to give you you know the names. It's the, probably the easy part is to start with the position players. Um, and I don't know a year when I've gotten ready for the press conference and tried to write down names. Uh, there's always you know some question marks this year. Uh, uh, not as many question marks. You know uh, some guys have played really well, and the guys that, that we'll will assume will start on February 18th or Kevin Graham in left field. Um, T.J. McCants or Justin Bench in center field. Uh, in right field is one of those kind of uh, you know, by committee or open up uh, or o- uh, very open at this point. And uh, Hayden Leatherwood and uh, Kemp Alderman. Kemp had a tremendous fall. Really proud of him. Uh, a kid that, as you know, you know was going to redshirt last year. We pulled him off the bench. Had a couple really big at bats and you know big home run against LSU here on a Sunday that you know won the game for us. But a guy that's really worked with Mike Clement, our hitting coach, and has improved tremendously. Uh, and and uh, think that he's going to be a big part of the offense this year. So Leatherwood and Alderman and Wright. At third base, uh, Bench, uh, our only first-team All-SEC candidate you know, uh, you know, in the infield. Uh, you know, Justin had a terrific year for us this year, and I think uh, could play center, could play third, could play anywhere in the infield, to be honest with you. But I think we'll start off the first weekend. You'll probably see him with a start in center and, and a start at third for sure. Uh, and uh, Reagan Burford. You know, uh, junior college transferred that was here in the fall last year. Transferred to Northwest Florida and then uh, back. Uh, you know, here uh, gives us some depth in the infield and, and had a really good fall offensively and has a chance to start at third base. Uh, shortstop. Uh, you know, national freshman of the year Jacob Gonzalez returns, uh, and you know excited you know to watch you know him just continue to get better every single day. And Peyton Chatney at second base, as I mentioned, also, uh, and then Tim Elko at first base behind the plate. Hayden Dunhurst, uh, and so not a lot of surprises uh, from the DH spot. Um, you know Ben Van Cleve, you know had a had a really good fall for us. Calvin Harris, um, uh, who's also a catcher, as you know, coming off arm surgery last year, I think is uh, another candidate for the, the DH spot and, um, and, and some of the other guys that don't find their uh, position you know, as one of the starters in the field obviously could be one of the DHs. Uh, from the pitching side, um, on February 18th, we'll start Derek Diamond uh, on that Friday uh, afternoon against Charleston Southern. After that, um, we're not sure. 
uh, you know, right now it's still a lot of competition going on for those last two spots on Saturday and Sunday starters and um, certainly could be fluid through the first four weeks. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, more depth, I think more options, more high-end, uh, uh, you know, uh, ability than, than we had last year. Guys like Jack Doherty and Drew McDaniel and Brandon Johnson have all pitched really, really well and I think are candidates to be, you know, weekend starters for us. Uh, and then the transfers that I've mentioned already, two of them, Jack Washburn and John Gaddis, uh, and uh, Dylan DeLucia, another uh, junior college transfer, another one from Northwest Florida uh, that's pitched really well, pitched great last weekend, pitched really well at the end of the fall, uh, along with uh, a couple freshmen uh, that, that pitched really well this fall. Uh, I mentioned Hunter Elliott and uh, from, from Tupelo High School and uh, Riley Maddox from Jackson Prep. Um, and then, as I said, you know, Chofi's uh, uh, rehab is going really well, and I see him being a, you know, a part of that that bullpen, you know, as the season progresses. So, uh, with that, I'll open it up to you, uh, to your questions. You touched on them a couple times, but what have you liked specifically out of Gaddis and Washburn since they've come in and try to fit into the system? Well, obviously they're, they're they're different. You know, one's a, a big power right-hander, one's a, a left-hander, but a little undersized. But um, Gaddis, you know, probably from a, a fan standpoint, uh, you know, looks a little more like Doug Nikhazy in a sense that uh, body size, attacks hitters. He's uh, got a really good fastball that plays up. Uh, he's not going to light up the radar gun. He's going to throw the ball in the upper 80s, low 90s. But the uh, you know the the fastball's got some swing and miss to it. A uh, good breaking ball, really good changeup. Um, great competitor, a guy that was uh, Southland Conference Pitcher of the Year last year, and so he's used to winning, used to having success, and you know to to add an older guy like that to your staff, obviously, you know that's a plus for us. And and you know it's not a secret we don't have a lot of left-handed arms, so you know pitching from that side obviously is big for us as well. You know uh, Jack, you know Washburn, it's a kid that you know played uh, at a you know one of the best programs in the country in Oregon State, and uh, uh, you know also. Put Played on the USA national team this summer, and so a guy that's used to playing in you know major college baseball, uh, you know playing on a big stage, uh, big power right-hander, really good fastball, really good breaking ball. Um, pitched mostly out of the bullpen uh, for Oregon State last year, and I think you know has uh, certainly got an opportunity to to be a weekend starter for us. You talked about both of those guys, and they both had good years last year, but coming you know to the SEC, how well, do you think they can adjust to playing in a conference that has so much offense returning this year and the best conference in the country? And two, how much do you think you're going to kind of rely on those two guys this year? Well, I think we're going to rely on them tremendously. You know, the you know the, the back part of your question. Nobody really knows the first part of your question. You know, uh, I think you know some of that's you know physical and some of that's mental and and some of that's just a hurdle that everybody has to get through. But these are confident guys. These are guys, as you mentioned, had you know success you know uh, in college and in high school. Uh, and they're older guys, you know. These, uh, you know, and I think that's one of the things, with, you know, for, especially from a baseball standpoint, not to turn this into a uh, transfer portal. Uh, press conference, but you know when you when you look to that, sometimes I think in baseball, you know that's the help is that they're older. They're, the help is that they've they've done some of this. So as I mentioned earlier about Jack, you know pitching in the in the Pac-12 and uh, pitching in, you know with Team USA and 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 John uh, being the conference pitcher of the year. Uh, these are guys that uh, you know have had success, and even though it hasn't been in the SEC. Really, nobody's had that unless you pitched in the SEC. So you can't usually use that, or you can't use that. I think as a as a negative. It's just something that they haven't done yet. But we, we think they're going to be big parts of what we're trying to do this year. So little separation between the potential starters on on the mound. How do you sort of balance giving those guys opportunities and sample sizes versus you know making sure you give kind of everybody a shot? Yeah. And I, and I think it's 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 a delicate balance. I think last year I did a poor job of uh, not the starters necessarily, but with the bullpen and trying to find the right guys. And uh, we had so many guys. At one time I looked up, and it was early in the season, and you know we had like 19 guys or 20 guys that had stats. And uh, when I used the term had or phrase that they had stats, meaning they pitched. And so you know when you're playing four times a week, and you're pitching 19.
19 guys, uh, there's a lot of one innings, one innings, one innings, and that's not a great, not necessarily a sample size uh, and uh, hard to judge one way or the other, but it's also, I don't think, benefits them, you know, to where they get opportunities to uh, pitch out of jams, to show what they can do, can they extend and, and uh, pitch more than an inning, and, and what, you know, where their role's going to be. So I say that first, where it's not the easiest thing. Um, uh, but with that being said, I think both, you know all of these guys that I've mentioned can pitch or have pitched out of the bullpen. They certainly can do that. We'll make the best choice that we can. We talked about it, Coach Lafferty and I, this morning, that at, at, at some point you make a decision and you go with the three, but just because they're starting against uh, uh, Charleston Southern doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to pitch the next week against VCU or Central Florida or uh, they're going forward. Uh, we've had years where you know on opening weekend those three guys went you – know, the entire season and it doesn't necessarily mean your team struggles that way but there's times where guys pitch better than others there's times where injuries or what have you uh, change that rotation and so uh, I think sometimes a fall and an early spring like this when there's so much competition is a good thing I think it's a healthy thing and so uh, just because they don't start, you know, because let's face it, there's only three guys that are starting opening weekend. Just because they don't start doesn't mean that they won't start at some point. And so how do you, as you used the phrase, and I used it because you used it, the sample size, uh, we've seen it. We've seen it, you know, I've seen it years from, Gosh, 15, 17 years ago, Will Klein had started in a bullpen, became a starter. Scott Biddle was, you know, the greatest closer we ever had, and we made him a starter, and he just rolled through it. T.J. Beam, I mean, you know, just because you start in a pen or just because you have had success in the pen, um, a lot of times if you can get them out, you can get them out. And uh, it doesn't matter if it's the first inning or the ninth inning. So. Derek's growth, but uh, have you seen him add or anything new or different, or is he just kind of becoming a more consistent version of the guy who was in the last few years? Yeah, you know, one of the things I, I credit Derek is I think he just wants to always improve. He's always looking to get better, and and uh, unlike you know some guys in that 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 age, right at uh, 19 to 22 years old, it's not just about velocity. I think he realizes that he's got the ability to run the ball up there in the upper 90s, uh, but he wants to pitch, you know, and to to pitch and to be effective, you know, he realizes that he's got to, you know, locate his fastball. That can be, you know, super overpowering at times, but to locate it better, to be able to mix two breaking balls in there, change up, work on his, you know, uh, defending the steal and his pickoff move uh, to his body and nutrition and, and so on. And so, you know, I think he's really mature. Um, one of the things that I will say about Derek and Drew and some of those others that I think fall into this category, uh, so it's kind of a segue going off your question, is they uh, these are guys that they're in their junior year, they're in their third year, but last year was really their freshman year. You know, Derek, even though he pitched and he was the Sunday starter in 2020, you know, he never pitched an SEC game. You know, he played four games against non-conference teams and pitched well and, and you know, did what you know uh, you would hope that he would do as a freshman, but he didn't get the benefit that a guy like Gunnar Hoagland did, where you, know, you can kind of get your, 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 your nose bloodied a little bit in the SEC, and, and do you survive, and do, does that experience and that getting, beat, you know, getting beaten up every once in a while, does that make you better? Well, I think you know, the great ones, it does make better. You know, some guys aren't strong enough to get through that. And uh, so, you know, when you look at Derek, when you look at Drew, you know, some of, I think, uh, their, their, their positives are awesome from last year, but some of the things that they struggled with or games that they had difficulty with, that's to happen. There's not many freshmen that run out there, and even though they were considered sophomores, uh, there's not too many guys that run out there the first time. We realized that we had a ladies forum here last week, and uh, uh, one of the group was an older group. It's Tim Elko, but it was with Chatagnier and a handful of guys that their household names had been in the program. This is the third year, and, and they asked them what was their favorite venue you know, to go to in the SEC. Well, everybody but Elko had only been to the five schools because now, even though they've been here three years, they, they didn't get that 2020 year. They didn't get to go to it. So they've only been to, you know, five schools out of the 14. So, you know, it's kind of a difficult question. And I think that just kind of, you know, you know sh shows you that, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's, you know, there's a maturation period. With all these, you know, pitching pieces that you talked about, uh, some new faces, some you know, with a little bit less experience, but how important is having a guy like Dunhurst back there just in terms of getting everybody out? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to quantify, but there's no doubt it's a it's a big deal. You know, uh, arguably the, the the best catcher we've ever had. You know, behind the plate, and that's saying a lot. We've had some really really good guys back there, but the way that he handles pitchers, the way that uh, uh, he defends the the running game, uh, the way that he receives and uh, uh, keeps balls into the strike zone and makes pitches uh, that are close look so good. Um, he's terrific. You know, he's a guy that's going to catch in the big leagues and. Uh, uh, and I, I'll let Derek and the other guys, you know, speak on what you know, you know, trying to read their mind. But you know, I, if I was a pitcher, I'd like to pitch to him. It's done well, you know, uh, and and both him and Knox, you know, had really good falls, and you know, we're proud of it. Uh, you know, the falls that they both had continue to improve, and uh, uh, Cal's, you know, th- you know, throwing. I mean, he looks like he did, you know, before he hurt his arm, and uh, which I think is the biggest thing. And uh, you know, like I said, uh, you know, Hayden will get you know most of the pub, which he should and deserves, but uh, we got two pretty good guys, you know, behind him. Is TJ in your mind a full-time outfielder now, or is he working at third? He, he continues to work in the infield. I, I, I think um, um, not that he couldn't play third, but I think uh, um, you know he's probably more suited for the middle, you know, at, at second base or, or shortstop. Um, uh, it's one of those things that happens in college baseball where. Ends up, you know, probably his best friend and Jacob Gonzalez. You show up, and you know, uh, you know, his career, you know, in the infield may be different if if Jacob wasn't here and signed out of high school. But uh, he's a super athlete. I think the scouts, you know, realize that he's a draft eligible sophomore, and you know, he's a he's a kid that you know has played infield in the in the scrimmages, and we'll continue to do that. I think uh, one, it gives us you know more depth and more options. Uh, two, in fairness to him, who knows that 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 may be the thing that he does when he when he gets to you know professional. Baseball. Mike, you, you guys were one game away from Omaha last year. You have this whole offense basically coming back. You took advantage of the transfer portal, and you have some good young arms that showed some bright spots last year. Do you think it's realistic for Ole Miss baseball fans to have an Omaha expectation for this year's team? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think as a coach, and uh, obviously I'm a little uh, partial uh, you know, to, to, to that. But, uh, you know, I would think that you would, you would always have that expectation, you know, and it's not a secret. We haven't been since 2014, but we've been really close and, uh, you know, it's one game and, uh, you got to play a little bit better. You know, you got to pitch it a little bit better. You got to swing it a little bit better, but, uh, I, I see no reason, you know, why this team, uh, you know, doesn't have an opportunity to get to Omaha and, and, and be the first team in, in a few years to get there. Uh, I think we have all the pieces, you know, obviously the offense, is there, but on the mound, uh, I think uh, we will surprise some people, and I think we will pitch you know better than you know most people you know uh, probably expect us to. And and I say that just because um, it's easy. I think sometimes when you sit back and you look at the names and Elko and Graham and Bench and McCants and Gonzalez and all the names that have had success, but I also think back to two years ago in 2020, uh, the pandemic year, where you know we got off to a great start, but we had lost Dillard and Zabowski and Kessinger and you know this great offense from the year before and nobody really knew where the the, the offense was going to come from people forgot that's that's the nature of sports it's the nature especially of college athletics you know uh, if you're going to consistently win uh, which we hope we're one of those programs that consistently wins that there's going to be times where you may know not know the names and the faces quite yet or maybe you know them but they haven't quite had that success but there's a reason for it because because Nikhazy pitched the beginnings last year and and it was his turn to do that it was you know gunner's turn to do that and broadway's turn to do that well you know now it's somebody else's turn you mentioned defense how much of that is just individual emphasis on getting better in a lot of construction versus you know what you're well, I think it's both. I mean, that's a tough question, but I think it's both. Uh, but you know, to watch, you know, uh, and some of it's just maturing. You know, some of it. You know, uh, one of the things I've said a lot is, you know, so much has been made of J- Jacob's year last year, uh, but really, probably from an offensive standpoint, to hit in the mid three hundreds and, you know, hit all those home runs at RBIs and basically bat two three, you know, the entire year on a really good offensive team. But not many people mention his defense, and you know he played every game at shortstop. You know, at, you know the most difficult position, and a lot of pressure at that position, and uh, and he did it well. 
He, he did it as well as you know any freshman we've ever had. I know he wants to do better, and the expectation is he'll play better. But when I look back at the, the great ones, there's not too many freshmen that went out and played every single day uh, and, and played like he did defensively. But I know that's one of his goal, uh, goals individually. And I think collectively as a coach, you know, we're also looking at big picture, right? We're looking at, you know, can we shut down runs? Can we do some things, not just team defense and double cuts and that, those types of things, but collectively as a defense, can we play better and play an elite defense? Can we play in that 978, close to 980 range to where you just don't give up runs? You're, you're going to catch all the balls out there and you're going to defend the steal. And, you know, um, you know when, you, when you have a guy behind the plate like Dunhurst and you got the infielders that we return, uh, we, we should. We should. What you've seen from Burford is that what did you sort of see a year ago when he was here from the ball? Was there a lot of maturation since then? Or is it the yeah, I, I just why very mature approach offensively. You know, uh, he's uh, you know a guy that's a little different. I think from what our fans, you know, he's he's not you know Elko or Graham, and he's not hitting balls out into the student section, but just a great approach where he's going to be a tough out. Uh, he, he can run, uh, he can handle the bat, um, and so we're going to need that. You know, because you know we do have some guys in the middle that can swing. Uh, you know, and one of the goals also that I didn't mention is to to, to to cut down the you know some of the swing and miss you know that we had last year. I'm not a you know uh, a big uh, strikeout guy in the sense that um, you know uh, we know that sometimes when you put big guys in the lineup that hit home runs, there you're going to have a little more swing and miss. That's kind of the trade-off. And uh, um, but you know you got to be careful not to have too much. And I think last year. We we uh, bordered on that too much. Where you know we we'd like to cut that down. I know that's been one of the focuses for Coach Clement. They certainly did that this fall, and you know guys like Burford in a lineup. I think you know help that cause. Going off the multiple sports, there's a lot of bouncing around with the assistant coaches and all, and we've seen that multiple sports. Mm. Or gratifying to have your staff. Yeah. Um, Terrific, you know. Carl Lafferty's the most tenured coach, uh, assistant coach in the, in the Southeastern Conference. Been with us since 2006 in some role, right? Uh, of course, Mike Clement's been here since 2015, um, and uh, yeah. When you talk about you know the two main guys, uh, not to mention Chris Cleary's been here for you know a handful of years, and the operations guys. Uh, from a coach's head coach's standpoint, man, it's much smoother, much easier. But if it's easier for me and smoother for me, you can only imagine what it is for the players, right? It's not learning a whole new system. Uh, it's not learning a whole new offensive system or philosophy or even coaches' techniques, right? Everybody's different. Everybody's got different personalities. And I'm fortunate. You know, I've had some great coaches here, as you know, um, that have gone on to be great coaches, uh, head coaches at other programs. But uh, I don't know if I've ever collectively, and I mean that. I know coaches say that, but, man, I'm, I'm really blessed. These guys are terrific. And to have, you know, uh, Clem and Laugh here, uh, you know, make, make us a lot better and make my job a lot easier. Playing off that a little bit, does that make it easier to accept the Team USA thing? Because we got the portal and the summer going on, but you can trust. Yeah. I'll tell you, I was I was scared to death as an assistant in 2013, uh, just because. I don't know if you realize it. I'm kind of hands-on as a head coach, uh, and uh, and so to, to to be able to you know to be out of the country to be gone, and it's not that long. You know, this year's tour uh, will be less than three weeks, and uh, and so. Um, Heck, that's just a fishing trip for Kiffin, right? So, uh, no, I'm teasing. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, but for us, it's it's you know it's 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 a tough thing, and it's right in the middle of recruiting. And um, and but to have guys like that, you're exactly right. It, it uh, we've done it one time, uh, and they handle it terrific. You know, matter of fact, I think you know uh, that was probably the summer. Maybe it helped because I think that led into that 2016 class was you know the number one ranked recruiting class in the country. So maybe Laugh and Clem could, you know, pull one of those out again. That would be good. What have you seen kind of click for Kemp? Since the fall, you said he had that hot fall. The, the biggest thing is to to be able to uh, work on his approach. I think you know some of it we talk about is just maturation and confidence, and some of it's just I think approach and and worked with Coach you know Clement where you just there's just a lot less swing and miss, uh, uh, a lot more um, uh, you know swinging at balls in the zone, 
uh, last year. He just he would get himself in bad counts, and um, and and again, some of that, like I said, is just being a young guy and you know wanting to do well, and and uh, and at times emotionally maybe not handling it the best. Uh, but but this year he he looks like a different player. I'm excited for him. Uh, that's not to just put it all on him. I mean it's it's you know it's only his second year, and he didn't have a ton of bats last year. But just proud of you know uh, I wanted to mention him because just proud of the way that you know he he worked this fall and uh, in the fall that he had to put himself in position to to help us and be a big piece you know f- you know for this lineup how special can, can Jacob be and I mean is it even possible for him to surpass the numbers that kind of he put up last year at such a young age you know somebody asked me that and and that's the unfair thing of sports right once you do well the expectation is you know what's next or you know do you hit 400 now do you hit you know 20 home runs and uh, and I think Jacob's smart enough that you can't just look at it that way right you just got to go out and play and look at certain areas of your game if it's defensively if it's you know to cut down strikeouts if it's to hit the ball the whatever that is for you to try to you know improve that way uh, the stats are the stats you know but uh, uh, now he may answer differently maybe there is a goal to hit through you know, 375, but I, I think you know probably the best road to success is to to put it in perspective and just say that I want to prove this these parts of my game, you know, uh, versus you know some expectation uh, from a reporter from Columbus to say that I'm supposed to hit you know a certain amount to say that I did improve. I, I don't. I think if, if he could put up the same numbers he did last year, I think we'd be real happy. You know, I don't I don't look at it that way. I think my job's always to to, to, to look at ways to motivate them to you know to, I think to encourage them to, to to look and see things that may they may not look at. Um, you know, but at the end of the day I think, you know, um, you know, my job is to get them to to play the best that they can play, and sometimes that's motivation. Sometimes that's kicking them in the rear. Sometimes that's showing them, you know, what what they can do or what we're doing now and what we shouldn't do. So it's a lot of different things. But I don't I don't necessarily think it's just giving a motivational talk in the outfield or showing a motivational video. Um, but I do think almost in reverse is you know not that they would get complacent that sometimes you take for granted. Um, and we don't want that. That was kind of a challenge uh, to some of the leaders yesterday that you don't want to just take for granted that we're going to have a good year. You don't want to take for granted that we're going to have a good offense. You don't want to take for granted. You want to do the things that help you have that offense, to have that team, have that leadership. You know, we, uh, you know, to me, the focus is to make sure that you're doing the things that you need to do every single day uh, so you can have the, the days that you want to have, right? Um, and uh, that's what we're trying to do in the next couple weeks is you know to not look at February 18th but uh, you know to look at each day and how can we improve each day to be the best baseball team that we can be. Mike given the injuries and everything that you had that went on last year uh, was last year one of your better coaching jobs individually? Absolutely. I, I, I joke, Parrish, that, that's for you guys to judge. Uh, I don't look at it that way. I will say that uh, it, it's the most proud that I've ever been, you know, of a, of a team. And because of that, because there were so many times where uh, when you have those adversities, we're human, right? And it doesn't matter if you're a reporter or you're a fan or you're a coach or a player, you feel those and you go, wow, how are they going to recover from this? How are they going to be able to bounce back from this? And we're not just talking one. We're not just talking about losing a quarterback, which is huge, right? You know, that's like losing your Friday night starter, you know, but, you know, you're talking about losing your your best hitter, you know, uh, for for a month and not sure if he's ever coming back. And, you know, the first month we lose our second baseman and our closer uh, and Max Chofi. And it just seemed that we lost Doug, people forgot, we lost Doug Nikhazy for two weeks, you know, the, the star conference play. It just seemed, you know, like every three or four weeks, you know, we got kicked in the gut. Uh, and to their credit, you know, they just continued to, to bounce back, to, to show that grit, to show that uh, uh, resilience, and uh, and to have the year that they had, you know, to win 18 conference games, to win 45 regular season games, and to put yourself in that position uh, to, to be one game from Omaha. Yeah, uh, what, what a disappointing finish, but, you know, I don't know if I've ever been more proud 
you know, of any team in the 22 years than uh, that team because they went through a lot and uh, and almost you know made it to, you know to Omaha. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.